and we're live. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. Vlogcast comes from a skeptical point of view to answer some of the questions of why. This vlogcast started as a combination of spite and the Streisand effect because I needed a, a socially acceptable way of fanboying, and this was the way to do it. So, tough. Part of this is to follow through with the old adage that sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. I'm your main host. I'm known as Shujin Tribble pretty much everywhere. You can find me under that name. That's S-H-U-J-I-N. Hi. Let me go ahead and introduce you to the folks uh, with the possibility of there being additions, uh, hopefully, shortly. We'll see. From the Midwest of the U.S., Bridget, good evening. Good evening. Off to the uh, right-hand coast where things are um, relatively quiet. Which is kind of novel for a change on Renault Tech. Good morning. Good morning. Don't jinx it. Yeah. Oh, and as a, uh, as, as kind of a, what, what do they call those? Uh, public, public, um, service notice. announcement. Uh, yeah, as a public service announcement, as a new owner of a 3D pen, uh, melted plastic <clears throat> is hot. Yep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Sounds hot wax. I'm just saying. So are glue guns, but, you know, they're, they're, it takes all types. And <laughs> if you take a left-hand turn at the beltway and go up and jump over the border, which you're really not allowed to do, but some people will do it, because you can do it when you've got electronics involved, up into, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it in French, um, Canada, I think is how it's... Canadia up, or something like that. Up, yeah. up, up there in Kanukistan, returning guest... Dr. Courtney Plate, otherwise known as Dr. Nuka, is joining us back again. Good to see oh, you again, man. It's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. So, for those of you that are at all familiar, yes, it has been quite a long time since uh, Dr. Nuka was back with us, and it's turned into kind of an interesting thing this year where good news happened, and it finally prompted me to say, I want to have people back on the show again. And who better to talk to than somebody who is part of the uh, upper educational liberal Illuminati group? And I figured yeah. that's probably a good choice to get somebody who actually still likes me and is awake this time of the night. So we'll deal with that. Of course, as always, everybody, if you join us live, you can uh, <coughs> join over on the live chat, which is happening over there. So Stephanie, Felis. A, good to see you both. B, Felis, you know full well I'm going to tell you. If you can't stay awake, don't you push it. Because so help me, there are too many damn people who want to take you out uh, of your place and put you into a bed. Not in the fun way, just just in the you need to go to sleep way. So you be careful. Yeah, Felis had a... a some time off because of medical things going on. So an opportunity to, to remind her that, you know, you're not Supergirl is probably the, I know, I know. She can always go back and watch the episode later. It's true. That's yeah. true. So we see how that plays out. I, I, I want to get it out of the way first, only because I, I did go looking up information on Rafe Badawi's condition. We have no new information. That was easily accessible. And since we kind of missed out on last week, 
As of the recording of tonight's show, it has now been nine years, one month, seven days since Rafe Badawi was unjustly incarcerated for thought crime. Our hopes or thoughts are still with you and your family. We are still waiting. Why did we miss last week? Last week would have been my, what was it, 28th wedding anniversary? And I've powered through many of these events before, and last week just was not happening. It just was not going to have happen. And I would much rather have done a bye week instead of trying to get through and not being able to keep myself at all composed. And you know, even though this is, you know, we don't get paid for this, although, you know, you could really pay us over on Patreon, just saying, even though we don't get paid for this, I try really hard to do something resembling professionalism in being the main host of, you know, wrangling everything. I was not in an emotional spot to be able to do that. So we're back now. To that end, since uh, I would normally be trying different beers, I decided to find one of the old uh, old uh, Japanese tea set uh, things that uh, my wife and I had bought a long time ago, and I figured that I would finish off the wine that we love so much. Now, I think it's hilarious that you have that you pull up the Japanese tea set because I'm having a Japanese Kit Kat bar. <laughs> that is uh it literally it's imported from japan so the the, the wrapper's written in, in japanese and everything um and it's got the the space on the back so you can write a message on the back and then you share it with somebody oh that's cool they're big on they're well japan has that going with the Kit Kats. they love that um and they have that mentality for it um so this one's flavor is sakura japanese sake Ooh. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, supposed to imitate sake and that uh, the made from the sakura flower blossom. Sorry, and it tastes really nice. It is definitely a floral flavor, a little bit reminiscent of sake. I've had a couple, and I like it. it this this one's going into like my regular candy jar going forward. Yeah, no worries. So, twenty eight years. It's been a really, really good run. Come by. I am. So, there's not much in that one. Uh, I'll sip on that as we go. Uh, for anybody that wants to go looking up for it, it is the Woodbury Vineyard. This is the Niagara. It's white. And we loved it. When we went to a taste testing, the company... Folks said, good wine doesn't matter how much it costs. Good wine is wine that you will want to drink again. Doesn't matter how expensive it is or how cheap. If you like Amen. it, that's good wine. So if you find something you like, go with it. So, um... How's everybody holding up right now? I mean, mental check-in before I go ahead and, and launch into the opening. Um, the good doctor and I, you know, we 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 were talking before uh, the rest of you guys got over here. We typically yearly, Nuka and I uh, kind of 
you know, we 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 kind of have a a, a check in at Anthrocon, you know, a couple minutes, get away from everything. How you been doing? How you holding up? What's been going on new? And you know, we kind of have our own little uh, family gathering, so to speak. So you know, we we kind of had a little bit of uh, a little bit of kibitz time, but um, how you guys holding up? Uh, Doc, I, I guess start off with you because you, at least for you, things are holding pretty well. Yeah, I was uh, sort of mentioning before the show that it's I, I feel this immense sense of guilt in some ways because it feels like the world is burning down around me and uh, things are going pretty well for me, all things considered. Like with my getting tenure recently, I've, uh, I'm just putting the finishing touches on a new book. So um, yeah, I moved in with a couple of roommates. So for the first time in like eight years, I'm no longer living by myself. I have uh, sort of like a family I'm living with now. So um, it, it, I'm doing great. And again, it's hard to not feel a little bit guilty. Uh, about it. <laughs> it's Canadian part of you checking in, I guess. <laughs> My Canadian is showing. It's okay. But you didn't say sorry. I didn't apologize. It was implied sorry, but... Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. I did spend time in the States. So it was only implied as a sorry. <laughs> Bridget, you're... you're- doing pretty happy for yourself i know that much so that's good yeah i think so um but i'm going back on lockdown so there's that um you know there's there's a couple reasons for that i went and had my checkup and got glasses and all that stuff this week but i figured if my doctor is back to wearing you know, not only masks, but eye protection and a face shield, and he's vaccinated, there's a good reason for it. And yeah. then um, I found out that my sib from another crib that I used to live with from second grade until seventh has COVID, and hers is pretty severe, but she's not in the hospital. But her husband, who I was stationed with when we were in the Air Force, is about to be moved to ICU. He's not doing very well at all. But they didn't get the vaccine, so. And they're out in California. Which everything is on fire out there anyway. Yeah, so I was, you know, I'm just kind of like, wow. Um, you know, I'm going to be working remotely, but I'm like, is there really any reason for me to go out with the rates going up like they are and the people who are not vaccinated and then we're hearing a breakthrough infections? Nah. No. I'm being hermit anyway, so there you go. I was on lockdown for 14 months. I can do another 14. Yeah, there's that. And Tech, how are you holding? Well, <clears throat> in the spirit of uh, Nuka here, uh, half my half my family is uh, Catholic. The other half is Jewish. So I end up, uh, I end up feeling, uh, guilty a lot. But you're well fed. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> well, that's thanks to the Gavelta fish. Um, <laughs> I'm a dad. I'm allowed to make dad jokes for crying out loud. See, <laughs> see you, you, you say that. I do say that. Yeah. Up until the point where I finally outdo you. But, <laughs> but no, uh, how am I doing? Uh, Dark is a good pl- uh, word. Um, so what's really weird is, and, and this has been, uh, 
this is something that's been going on for a long time. The people whose opinion matter with regards to like analysis of my mental health and things like that have always come around to the statement of something of, akin to you're goofy, but you're very well grounded. You're very well grounded. You're, you're very sane. You're very, uh, on point, whatever. And it's like, dude, I am the utter goofball. I don't even see where this is coming from. But, um, so, you know, I've got the dark thoughts. I've got the dark feelings. I have, uh, all the, you know, negative stuff. But at the same time, there's things to do. They need to get done. You know, um, there's, uh, it's like, um, you might have the captain of a submarine and the submarine's in real bad shape. The captain has to keep his cool or her cool. Sorry. Because everybody's looking to the captain for inspiration, know that it's going to be okay. They're going to get through it. And if the captain breaks, everybody breaks. Kind of like the linchpin. So right now I'm basically mentally in that state of, yeah, there's a lot of negativity going on in my brain right now. Uh, hold my beer. I got shit to do. <laughs> I got you. And for the record, there's a very good reason why tech is grounded. He works in IT occasionally with hardware. He needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I know which uh, wire on the socket you're supposed to hold on to. Yeah, that that doesn't help when you uh, have a, a, a bunch of U racks uh, come down and, and take off uh, part of your finger. There's a story behind that, and I'll I'll explain about it another time. My worst server room accident that involved physical injury to myself was I had a 1U server, so very thin server, but they're still heavy. It didn't lock into place. So me and another guy, were we each had one side of it because we were just playing the game of, you know, why bother throwing our backs out regardless of how light or heavy these things are. So my side didn't clip in and it started to fall. He let go of his side. Uh, and I was, I, my brain's going, well, in very fast motion, our brain, our brains are really great at making a whole lot of bunch of thought processes in a split second. And mine was, oh, he's holding on to it. I better get it before it hits him and, you know, breaks his fingers or hits him in the knee or drops on his foot. So I reach for it. He's let go. And the side of it is sharp. <laughs> it's like, so I christened the server with my own blood. <laughs> I didn't and, realize and he, that would require blood sacrifice. I mean, geez. Well, you know, sometimes you sacrifice a chicken, you know, but sometimes human blood is a requirement. That's some, that's some tech, technomancy right there. You you realize well, you realize once it's had a taste of blood, you can't just shut down the server until it's had more. You know that. Yeah, well, it's like I'm every other good blade. The, the guy who was helping me uh, as a sacrifice to his bank account, he bought me around. So you know, it was all cool. Good call. Good call. Sorry, Bridge. I didn't mean if I was cutting you off. I was just trying to finish the. Uh, oh no, no. I cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. All right. I'm used to getting cut off. I live in Maryland. The drivers down here suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, Why would you ever do? 
five under the speed limit in the left-hand lane. I really wish they would put in into the books a law like they have in other states where if you're in the left lane and you're just sitting there, you get a ticket. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, It's on the books here, but it's not enforced. It's not here. Not here. Yeah, when we go ahead and we talk about uh, bad driving, I'll tell my Boston story again. Not tonight. <laughs> uh, Chicago is downright scary. Is Chicago? Is not Chicago. Is Chicago? Sorry, got a song stuck in my head now. Yeah, you were. Uh, you- to drive in Chicago requires like heavy duty tranks, like benzos or something. It's awful. I'm not allowed to take tranquilizers. That's what beer's for. We'll come back to that later. Maybe even next week. I'll explain later. Anyway. I won't be on next week. No offense. Done taken. I have to go out of town. All right, that's fair. Anyway, let me get you guys rolling over here. So, with five minutes on the clock, let me get to your five-minute freestyle. It starts right now. Proofs. I hate the word proof. I hate the word. I've talked about this ad nauseum. Why am I bringing this topic up again? Simple. Because the word proof has only one legitimate use, and that is in mathematics. Everything else has got wiggle room to it. Mathematics does not. To borrow a phrase from a friend of mine, it's either freaking right or it's freaking wrong. There is no two ways about it. So when somebody wants to go ahead and talk about, well, prove something is... Yeah, we've got a problem here, because that's not a thing until you're talking about mathematics. Now, we know full well that there are mathematical proofs for stuff that is otherwise flights of fancy, theoretical physics, for instance. Yes, stuff can be proven to be a certain way that just don't make any real sense that we know of. For instance, the idea of a wormhole in space-time in order to go from one place to another that's way the hell out by crossing over a doorway. Yes, it has been proven that these things do exist. The problem is the proof also involves exotic matter with negative mass. Okay, so that fits the description. It solves for X, so to speak. But the problem is there is no known way for something like that to exist. Ergo, it might not be. Now, the fact that we've discovered antimatter when all we ever knew was matter yeah, you know, okay, maybe maybe there is something out there that we just don't know about, but the proof mathematically says it should happen. The problem is trying to find out, uh, is there something that's actually going to fit the bill? Now, to that end, that is why proof is only relevant in mathematics, because I am sick and tired of the people who don't want to use the vaccinations that are out there for COVID. The vaccination numbers are simply 
indisputable by anything other than, well, let's call it what it is, willful ignorance. There's simply no other way. Yes, I know, statistics can be tweaked with and presented in certain ways to be fashionable or to, to lean a specific way for something. Lord knows, when my wife was doing account management for inbound telephone sales, you know, there were certain ways that you could actually take the numbers and present them in a certain way. And she was the one that told me, data doesn't lie, but statistics can well, there's a problem when we start looking at what's going on with vaccinations. The statistics don't lie. The statistics are almost, almost within one percentage point, almost all of the current new COVID infections or from people who have not been vaccinated. Let me say that again. Within one percentage point, people who have not gotten stuck are the ones who are going in because they're sick. And that's after over 600,000 Americans alone got killed by this damn thing. I don't even know what the numbers are in Canada or in Great Britain or in Italy or anywhere the hell else. It doesn't really much matter. The number of infections and deaths far outstrips the risks, the minor risks of the vaccination. You want to go out there and tell me, oh, I don't need a, a mumps vaccine? Bullshit, you do. You don't need for rubella or whooping cough? Bullshit, you do. And you got them early on. The fact that you don't remember it is not material. What is, is that if you don't get vaccinated, you have better than a 99% chance, if you get infected, that you're going to see a medical person. And at that point, good luck rolling the bones. This is episode 369 on the docket, Your Honor. First off, nice. Second, hey, teach, because, I mean, Dr. Nuka is an actual professor, man. This is a big opportunity in the middle of, you know, one of the most insane school years that we've had, you know, over the last two years. Somebody who's dealing in higher education, who's, you know, rip-roaring ready to go, and some of the stuff that he's posted about, about how his students have been like, holy shit, this is great. I mean, what better opportunity to find out, you know, from somebody who's doing the job, how important it is, and what, you know, what we can hope to encourage in the, the people that are coming up into these up into these ranks. So with the other stuff out of the way, I think now is about as good a time as any to get over to the horrible scopes, and then we can uh, we can we can work with the rest of it all, and we'll have a good time for the rest of the night. So, folks, 
like I said, it is time for the horrible scopes. Those of you that know what your astrological signs are, cool. Those of you that don't, copy off of somebody else's homework. It doesn't really much matter. You can you can you can bribe us if you want a better one next time. <laughs> Good luck with that. I have a problem. I rolled my die and it came up negative I. Yeah. See, now <laughs> your problem is your horrible scope then is going to be given to you by uh Dr. Tyson. You'll go with that one. Aries, you will be immune to earworms this week. Use this time productively to concentrate on important details like how the entire Bob Ross video collection over 400 episodes on DVD would cost either $1,270.69 US full price or $635.35 on special now at BobRoss.com. So, making a $20 donation to get the PBS book tote doesn't sound like such a big deal now, does it? As an aside, I figured out how much the collection would weigh if you had gotten it on VHS tape. Mm -hmm. Over 25 kilograms, over 100 tapes, where would you keep it? Good luck. Wow. That's a lot of tapes. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, if you're a Bob Ross fan, there is a board game for that called the Bob Ross, uh, called Bob Ross: The Art of Chill. Oh. And if you have not played it, it's awesome. I've never heard of that. I'll have to look that up later. It really is. It's a real thing. It's awesome. Taurus, people who say they understand quantum mechanics certainly do not understand quantum mechanics. People who think a quantum leap is a big deal really don't understand quantum mechanics. And any time the term quantum is used in marketing something, just hear in your head a photonic flashlight. That's how stupid it is. I don't know. Sam Beckett might have something to say. (laughs) Gemini, kiddie pools are great for you and your pet to lounge in these weekends. Your biggest problem is going to be getting one home from the store without it blowing off your car roof. Consider using a 3D printer to make one yourself. Sorry. Okay, just to to let the audience know, the reason why I find that so funny is I just bought myself a 3D printer. (laughs) We need clarification. Are you going to be making the the kiddie pool with the 3D printer or the kid and pet? Why not both? Okay. You got a 3D printer. You can do anything. Amen. I guess that uh, makes it my turn. It is. Yes, sir. All right. Cancer Moon Child, you got this one coming. No one likes a braggart cancer. Oh, look at me. What happened during my month? Just a little something called the moon landing and live aid. You had nothing to do with those events, cancer. The closest you've been to space was an escalator. And the only musical instrument you know how to play? The bop it. Get over yourself. Yeah, I was specifically thinking of the uh, uh, the dead uh, escalators at Anthrocon because, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that uh, the, the whole space thing that they uh, the news recently announced that uh, they redid the regs so that they uh, Jeff Bezos can't be declared an astronaut. And I'm thinking. Why would he even potentially be considered an astronaut when he's got the most advanced technology that we have possible? 
to do the same thing. Well, actually, to do less than what NASA did 50 years ago. I mean, if they find that very impressive, I, I've got a flashlight with an LED bulb in it, you know. Yeah. The, it's a photonic flashlight. Yeah. The the part of the reason why I, I was really upset because I was really waiting for the, did he beat the 100 kilometer line? Because for me, that's it. The reason why Jeff Bezos and and company, so to speak, do not get the astronaut wings is because the craft was operated remotely from the ground. Basically, it made it technically a giant rocket-powered drone and not an autonomous vehicle. That's cheating. It's Jeff Bezos. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he cheats all his workers out of, you know, pay and benefits and life like living yeah you can come back to that leo time to consider what games to buy from steam leo the top 10 most popular include counter-strike global offensive dota 2 grand theft auto v uh grand theft Auto five okay sorry rust Apex Legends, which, by the way, we're not being sponsored by, so screw you guys, and Team Fortress 2. And you suck at all of them. Stick with Pikmin 3 and you'll be more relaxed. That was kind of harsh. Virgo. (laughs) Fuck them, I don't care. It's time to change your spending habits. You can afford these purchases, that's not the issue. The customer service reps that have to call and ask if you really bought a 55-gallon drum of personal lubricant from Amazon are having panic attacks. They play rock, paper, scissors just to see who has to make the call this time. Please, think for the poor phone jockeys. That is a real thing. You can order from Amazon, yes, a 55-gallon drum. And yes, it does come with an included hand pump. You're welcome. Libra, we're sorry to hear about your workplace accident. You tried squeezing, then pulling the pin on the fire extinguisher, and blew out your ACL just like the old army vet did last week. HR says you'll be out for a few weeks, too. On the bright side, it was your left shoulder, so that's okay. Sorry, I had you, Tom. Scorpio, you hate the winter weather. Why are you planning a skiing trip in the middle of the summer when you would never do it in January? Go water skiing instead. Worst case, you fall forward, forget to close your eyes, and you get water sloshing around your eyeballs and in their sockets. At least you won't run into a tree and break your leg. I had that happen to me once. We'll talk about it another time. Sagittarius, you've gotten sold. That some of your treasured DVD box sets are from companies that no longer exist. Now comes the ethical dilemma. If the copyright holder no longer exists on those, does anybody even want to pirate those movies? They sell for $3 on eBay now. So I'm guessing... No. Capricorn. Here's a YouTube series you might want to check out titled True Facts. You might want to start off with The Ostrich. 
As it states, the ostrich is like the bird you would turn into if you met a dick genie. Not a dick genie, that's something else. So if you wish for things from a genie, be specific. Yeah, like, you know, nobody ever truly wishes for a 12-inch pianist. Aquarius! <laughs> Dealing with troublesome neighbors isn't easy, but we can help you. All we'll need is a fire extinguisher, a $30 gift card to Wendy's, and a mid-60s Buick, preferably a Wildcat. Now that the East River in New York is all cleared up, it'll be, easy, it'll be easier to uh, make a car go away. You know what we mean? Okay, we'll be in touch. Bye-bye. Ciao. I'm going to screw this one up. Pisces. There are two movie quotes separated by almost 15 years, both meaning the same thing. The first one goes, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. The second, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridus, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, and loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Now with that inspiration, what's your movie quote going to be? <laughs> You know, as I was looking up for movie quotes, it suddenly dawned on me that these two lines were basically the same damn thing. And I still, even though my my Friday night co-host said, you know, the first one's actually more elegant, I don't know which one actually is. But I love the actor. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid for the... I'm afraid for the answer, but which one? I've heard the Inigo Montoya. Okay, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's good. I like. I'm him. a Tick fan myself, you know. <laughs> so those are your horrible scopes for this week. Remember, if you like what you got, uh, that's completely accidental. Uh, I didn't really do any. I did really didn't do anything for you. But uh, if you want to send us a couple of dollars and say, "Hey, I want this sign to be given nice treatment next time," yeah, maybe I'll pay attention to that. I've I've been known to do that before. I mean, Shijin will do it for cheap beer. Uh no, 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 no. Uh. Nuka, the, one of the things that I, I do week to week usually is I, I try different uh, I, I try different beers just to see if I find something I like. A couple weeks ago, um, I had let's see if I can remember what it was. It was uh, I forget what all of the stuff that was to it, but it was a habanero pepper beer IPA. Nice. You can put a lot of things in beer. I don't know about that one. I'm uh no. let me go ahead and put the hard no on that one. No. No. That no. one that one was mm. now if it was a Mexican night, I could see doing it. In the future, just for just like I wanna have something to drink. No. See the beer is what you have with the habanero wings. The beer is like the contrast to it. You don't put that in the in beer. beer. Unless you're having a toasted cheese sandwich, in which case then it works. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I don't was, think you were too hip on the milkshake one either. No, 
Now that one, that one, that, yeah, that that one wasn't that that good. Um, so, so you, so you understand the only reason why they called it a milkshake IPA was because they used lactic Lacto- sugar. Yeah, lactose. That's the only reason why they called it milkshake because they were using. Yeah, lactose. It, it was. Yeah. It was basically it came down to why. I think you poured that one out. You couldn't even finish it. Uh, I, I did. Since, we're, since we're talking movie quotes, I hear that, and I'm reminded of the, the quote from Jurassic Park, overquoted. You're so preoccupied with whether you should or whether you could, you didn't stop to think whether you should. There is something to be said for that. There really is something to be said for that. So we'll keep that in mind. So let's uh now that we've spent way too long in in like the uh have a little bit of fun let's actually have some fun now so dr nuka let's have a real quick rundown on some of the things that you've done starting off with uh the fact that you got sharon involved with hey maybe we should ask all these re- re- these weirdos questions to find out about themselves <laughs> guilty as charged yeah <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if you're wanting the story of it or just the, well, basically just a, a real quick rundown on some of the, some of the areas that have been, uh, you know, Hey, let me tell you, I started blah. And now look at the things that I've done now that actually almost fit on a business card. Now, uh, I started as a lowly grad student in social psychology. I had to, uh, pick a topic for my thesis. So I decided to just make my hobby, my topic, which is not advisable to anyone. Um, I started studying furries. I was not the first to study furries, but I uh, did work with the person who was, and uh, I sort of helped co-found the uh, fur, what we now know as fur science. I've uh, since then published, I think up to about 70 or 80 years, publicate peer reviewed scientific journal articles uh, on that subject and many others related to it. Uh, we're working on a book right now or an updated version of a, a book all about the research. Uh, the work's been used sort of by news stations and, and anyone, basically anyone time anyone wants to talk about furries in the media, they, they contact us first. So, um, or, or, sort of my- or at least they should. They've been pretty good about more, more often than not. Uh, they, they get in touch with us one way or another, or they get in touch with someone who tells them to get in touch with us. So I, I did two separate interviews just this week about uh, that show, Sexy Beasts, that came out. And people saying, is this a furry thing? And so we had to say, no, this is not a furry thing. Um, Dude, I watched the premise for that, and I knew it was not a furry thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, they're just wearing costumes to look like animals while they do basically anonymous interviews. <laughs> I mean, if I had a nickel for every time uh, I, I was asked to talk about furries on a subject that I should not be talking about furries on, I I, I wouldn't have, you have to. Have a work. lot of nickels. Yeah, I, I could retire early. Well, hey, they they haven't gotten rid of the nickel in Canada yet, so you know that there's a there's a bonus. Yet, I was going to say, you know, on a positive side, at least by going to you and talking about this stuff, they're not helping to propagate a misunderstanding yep. of the community. That's, that's one of the reasons why I don't get too bothered by it. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather than be using the data, even if it means I have to sort of walk them through it and hold their hand, then have them just decide to uh, blow it off. What's What's been really sort of something we're proud of at First Science is the fact that 10 years ago, 
they, when we were first getting started, they could have just kind of pretended we didn't exist and the research wasn't there, but there's so much of it there now. And so many people sort of push the research out there on our behalf that you can't ignore it anymore. That anyone who tries to put out an ignorant story just looks ignorant. <laughs> yeah. And, um, like I said earlier, uh, Nook and I, you know, we, we, we've traditionally, you know, touched base on, uh, on stuff at Anthrocon, which is technically the furry equivalent of Mecca in North America. It's not the biggest anymore, but it's, it's still one of the, one of the biggest, but I mean, it, for, for us, it's like I said, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, family reunion, get together, touch base. And it has always absolutely floored me when, when we get to talking about how much stuff has changed, being able to grab all of the, uh, uh, the vast amount of statistics, the, the number of volunteers that actually fill out the questionnaires. And then, uh, I think the last time that we had you out, one of the big things that we were talking about was how to even ask the right questions in the first place. And that's, that is something that, uh, I, I kind of want to side, uh, sideways track through with you because, like I said, the, the real concentration at this point is, um, for your, your, your teaching. Pl oh, right. Y your current teaching gig. Oh, yes. I, 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 I teach now. So, um, up until very recently, I was, uh, uh, sort of in, in academic hell. A lot of times you get your PhD. And a lot of folks end up, especially in my field, end up leaving the field of academia because there is there are a number of people fighting for very few positions. Uh, when I was on the job market, I applied to 127 positions and got one interview, um, just to put into perspective. And it, it wasn't because I was a crappy uh, candidate either. It was just it was it's just that competitive um, that it's it's mind-numbingly difficult to get a job. Um, I managed. I was one of the very lucky ones. I managed to to, to snag a job, and uh, up until very recently, I was doing that as a uh, an assistant professor. And then, uh, just a few months ago, I was promoted to as associate professor, and I uh, am now tenured. So uh, that means I, I have some job security finally, which uh, means more than than any paycheck in the world. Just knowing that I kind of. In an era like this, where, where job security is something fewer and fewer people have, I consider myself completely um, lucky. You know, I, it's it's I, I don't downplay for a second how lucky I am to get to work the job that I truly love and and to have it there for me. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world except possibly being able to be a MythBuster. <laughs> well, the the job is uh, currently open, so uh, true. <laughs> I mean, there, there might be some like copyright issues, but. Uh... <laughs> Do with that I later. Work. I can work with that. So what, what I was uh, what I was going to say was that I kind of want to take uh, kind of a, a sideways track parallel with the the point, like I said, from last time out that we really uh, really remember, you know, really harping on, which is trying to figure out how to ask the right questions. And now that you're not taking surveys and you're actually teaching subjects now the now the 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 script is flipped if you will now it's a matter of how do you how do you impart the knowledge in order to gain the interest to ask 
the questions from the students. And I have to imagine that is incredibly, incredibly challenging for somebody who has been traditionally, look, I want to find out from you. Give me the answers. And and, and now you kind of got to go, okay, here are the answers. I'm waiting for you to kind of give me the questions that lead on to the next answers so I know where to steer you guys. Um, I think so. Uh, well, I should point out, I still do data collection. We still do do surveys and stuff every year. So I, I, I've never stopped doing that. Well, yes. Um, but in terms of the, the teaching, I actually think that they go very hand in hand. I think the the worst professors are the ones who are convinced they've got the answers. And now my job is to just dispense knowledge at your face. I think the best professors are the ones who view teaching as an opportunity to learn. I can't tell you the number of times when I, I've been teaching something and a student will say, well, actually, I read a paper in another class that says that you're actually wrong about this. And it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for me to go, oh, like, I, I don't know everything in my field. Uh, it's, it's, it's too much to know everything at, at, a, at a, you know, at a glance. And so uh, it's, it's, I, I kind of view it as taking students along with me and let's go learn this stuff together. And along the way, they give me opportunities to learn and to rethink my assumptions, just as I have to do every time we gather a thousand surveys on furries. And I go, okay, what are they going to show me that I was wrong about uh, this time? So uh, I think a good professor treats it like a learning opportunity. The now, okay, I'm trying to remember who was it. It was it was Socrates, if I remember right. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it's Socrates or Aristotle who went and, and took students out and was just like, okay, ask me questions about stuff and I will tell you what I know and we will find the questions to try to find the stuff that we don't know. And those, yeah, those kinds of teachers who are very much of the, there's still more to learn. Cool. Let's go. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love that about you. Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful. The, the, um, even going back to what you were saying during your, uh, your five minute bit there, um, it, it, it ties nicely to this idea of anyone who thinks they've got definitive proof of anything. Anyone who, who, I mean, it's the wrong question to ask in many ways. Uh, and, and anyone who believes, I, 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 it's a thing you have to fight against when you're a professor because it's so tempting to say, I've got the PhD, I'm doctor, I'm professor now. So that means I have learned all, all the knowledge to learn. And now my job is to just to passively dispense it. Um, it's, it's the completely wrong attitude to have. The best professors should be humble and realize, um, I, 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 I learn by asking questions of you, questions that even I'm, still learning myself too. But yeah, I know, you know, I've read more papers than perhaps my students have, but um, yeah, it's, it's all of, of learning is, is this, this, this constant need to, to better yourself, to constantly be searching for more answers and better answers uh, and not just being convinced. Well, I've done enough research. I've got my proof, my sufficient proof and I'm done. That's, that sort of attitude gets us into the kind of trouble we're seeing with uh, this, rise in anti oh, this rise in anti-intellectualism <laughs> yeah that's 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 definitely something that i want to no pun intended uh, want to end up hitting on when we get a little bit further but um it really quickly would you mind uh, recounting the story that you would uh, uh that you had given out uh, a little while back you had uh you had written up about one particular student 
who uh, you you had a talk with them about something. I believe it was in the furry fandom, and suddenly it was just like lights go off and they're just uh, go on and they're just like, oh wait a minute, this is actually really cool. Uh, this is something I would never would have known about. And I'm trying to remember what the which story that was in particular and, and when it was to kind of stir you a little bit better. Um, I admit it's not, uh, uh, I can't think of a single instance because it actually happens more and more now. Um, one of the things I make a point of doing it because, uh, the school I teach at Bishop's University is a rather small school. It's about 3000 students, um, which is small by university standards. Mm. And I, I get a reputation, right? When a school that small, everyone kind of, so I'm, I'm the furry prof, right? I'm the one who, I'll make a point every semester of wearing a fursuit to one of my lectures just because at this point, students expect it, right? So when you take the class of the furry prophet, okay, when's, when's he going to put on the suit? When's he going to, when's, you know, everyone's kind of waiting for it, say the line. And so I, I indulge them once per semester. Okay, we'll do the furry lecture. I'll tell you all about my research and then we'll, we'll get it all out of our systems. Um, and so, and during those lectures, I have an opportunity to talk to 120 students at a time. Uh, about the work I do, and without fail, uh, I always have uh, anywhere from three or four to uh, as many as a dozen students come up to me afterwards and say, "Like, wow, like I I didn't know any of that about about furries." And I'll occasionally have a student say, "Oh, like I I maybe I am one, and I didn't even realize. I didn't know there was a name for it." And so it's it's gone from being this sort of like one isolated incident, this thing that happened one time, to a fairly common or recurring thing now at this point. Uh, and it's it's incredibly rewarding to be able to 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 see students kind of clue in and getting oh it, it suddenly makes sense now this thing that I didn't understand before um, yes I, I I really like that and it's 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 hard to um, every prof wants to talk just about their own research and so it's kind of hard for me to 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 confine it to just one one lecture per semester but everybody's got to strike that balance between giving students what they want but also not belaboring the point. If you uh, haven't had it happen already, uh, I'm guessing you may or may not be have already prepared yourself. If it's happened, what did you do? If not, how are you preparing yourself for it? A student comes up to you and goes, sorry, I can't take your class anymore. My parents said that if I do, uh, my funding's cut off. Hmm. Because maybe they mentioned to their parents that, yeah, my professor's a furry and they're parents are like oh that's the devil whatever you know so i'm in a, a pretty progressive part of canada at a pretty progressive liberal arts university so that particular thing hasn't happened although i do occasionally uh usually once a semester uh i'll have at least one student who uh at some point one of the things i do in my classes i have anonymous feedback throughout the semester so i'll say here is a link you, you can post anonymously any feedback. I won't know who you are. And they'll almost always, I remember being told um, one time, oh, who's this fur fag teaching my class? You know, a, a good thing to say to your professor. Um, it's, it's sort of water off my back. I'm not bothered by it. Um, on the one hand, I realize it's just, I mean, it, after teaching a lecture about here's what furry is, if they're perpetuating misconceptions about it, I'm like, you, you just didn't hear the lecture. So you're just kind of showing how little you pay attention to my class. Um, but also for every one of those students, I've got like, you know, uh, 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 50 or a hundred students who, who've kind of, I, I've made a difference in a positive way. So that doesn't really bother me too much. And if you want to be really sort of snarky and cynical, um, they can drop my class all they want. They, they pay for it already. So it's not, 
doesn't bother me in the slightest. It's they're out the money. And ultimately the classes I teach are the ones that uh, you have to take to get into higher psychology. So if I'm a filter that keeps that kind of crap out of the field, then I've done my job. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. On the, on the opposite side of that though, it has to, I, I have to expect that there are also a, a number of students because of that, like you said, you know, four or five, a dozen, where suddenly there is more engagement after this happens, where they maybe take it a little bit more seriously. Maybe it's it's more fun for them. Is that something that you see happen? Yeah. So one of the things that's really exciting about about being able to teach that is, um, so I, I'm in like the, the very narrow slice of psych- most of psychology. When you go into psychology and you get a, a, an advanced degree is to go into clinical and counseling, which we need, we absolutely need more of. Um, but sort of part of the problem with that is it kind of overshadows like the, the, the small percentage of psychologists, like five or 10% of psychologists who like me, who do research. And so for a lot of students, research is that boring, crappy thing you have to do to get to the, 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 the clinical stuff, the stuff they want to do. And it's exciting to be able to, to find a couple of students who realize, oh, I, research can be fun. You can research like interesting things that are relevant to you. And so it's exciting to show students that no, research doesn't have to be this dry, boring thing. You can research like fun stuff or stuff that you find interesting. And, and just sort of showing them that that's a thing you can do, uh, kind of lights that, that, that spark for them. And I've had a number of students who sort of shifted gears and gone into a more research, uh, direction because they, they didn't realize that was an option. They thought the only thing they could study was, well, 50,000 people are studying self-esteem. So I guess I got to pile onto that train and be just another self-esteem researcher, which is not to hate on self-esteem researchers. Um, so that's been, been very, uh, rewarding for me to be able to do that. <laughs> Teaching them that they uh, they don't have to be the uh, uh, the mall clipboard person. Would you like to take a survey person? <laughs> exactly. It, it can be fun. And see, th- I I make that joke because technically, I'm whenever I he is that person along with uh, yeah, a half dozen other uh, folks from the the first science group, and uh, you know the 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 best and funniest part about it is. Usually the clipboards are sitting and waiting on the tabletop and people involuntarily come over. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's it's that time again. All right. You got a pencil? Cool. All right. Cool. I'll be back in a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and another thing that helps, too, not, not with that, but with going back to the classroom thing. It's if I've learned anything now from from teaching, which are now uh, students, which are now Zoomers, I guess, the Zoomer generation. Um Zoomers, perhaps more than any uh, other generation, can smell bullshit from a mile away. They, 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 they can smell corporate speak. They can smell uh, HR speak. They, they know it. Oh, they, they would hate it. my job. <laughs> well, they hate it. And so one of the things that I've, I've really been able to resonate with students because I come across as authentic, right? So I'll wear a t-shirt, t-shirt in shorts to class. I'll, okay, I, I'm a, I'm a furry. I'm, I got this weird hobby. And when you, you know, get down to it, most of us have weird hobbies and I'm just unabashed about it and it resonates with them and far more than wearing a, wearing a, a suit and a tie and coming to class does. So uh, I think that by presenting yourself authentic, authentically to students, um, they'll listen to what you have to say a lot more, um, than if you just sort of treat it as a, the dry subject that the dry stuffy, uh, 65 year old professor is, is, is reading to us. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, weird hobbies? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't have any weird hobbies myself. I, I don't know what you're I, talking about. I, de- I definitely don't have any, any of those. Weird hobbies? No, no, no. I just happen to be 3D printing a stand, pen stand for my Sharpie. <laughs> well, okay. I did have a question. Um, you know, you said that your, you know, your students who sign up for your class, it's like, oh, is that for a professor? When you decide to show up to class in a fursuit, is that just on a random day during the semester where they don't know ahead of time when you're going to do it? I mean, to me, that'd be a smart ploy. So it it would be. Exactly. Exactly the same thing I was thinking. <laughs> um, no. So I always so that they can see ahead in the syllabus if they're especially keen to look ahead in the syllabus. And near the end, I do my lecture on fandoms and fan research. Um, and uh, they can kind of sort of put together the dots. I think when I first taught it, it was like at, at the school, it was a surprise. No one was expecting me to show up in the suit. But word travels to the grapevine. Enough people know people who've taken a class uh, that they all know, okay, when's the furry lecture coming up? When's he going to show up in the suit? And they're all kind of waiting for it. So it's kind of hard to, you can't really surprise them. Although one of the things I want to do next year, uh, I have roommates now who are furries. And what I want to do is have one of my roommates show up in my class in my fursuit and just show up at the front of the class and set everything up, whatever, and just stand in front of the class, like with all them waiting for something to happen. And then me come running into the class and go, sorry, I'm late just to, just to throw them off a little bit. But we'll, we'll see if I, if I do that. That would be funny. Well, there is always the beginning of April every year. So, you know, (laughs) they're expecting it then they're expecting it then. Yes. So you say that, and now I'm and now I'm going back to uh, my junior high years. A math teacher I did not have had a little air horn in his filing cabinet. Once a semester, it once a year I should say it got used just to scare off when the high school well, junior high school kids you know were a little bit too rowdy and didn't want to pay attention, and it'd go over to the thing. <laughs> It's um, one of the things I should mention too uh, that, that this kind of brings us up. Really, ha- if if one thing defines my career, um, and one of the reasons why I say it's not a great choice for a lot of people, I got really lucky. Um, you have to constantly straddle the line between professionalism and and being a goofball because I can definitely get away with a certain amount of being a goofball, but you never want to veer too far in the direction of not being taken seriously. I've often kind of said that if there's a lesson to my research is that we need to take leisure incredibly seriously, right? So it's one of the reasons why when I do news reports or interviews, the caller comes off. I speak, I, I'm Dr. Courtney Plant. Uh, I don't do my, my interviews in a fursuit, right? Because we struggle enough with the idea that, that furry is ridiculous and silly. So you have to sort of balance the, hey, let's have fun with this, but also, um, I need you to take it seriously as well because this is legitimate research. And so finding that, that balance is, is a little bit tricky. I, I guess maybe helping to schedule it and then helping students expect it maybe contributes to the, this is, this is the fun day, but also it's still, it's still the class. We're still learning real research. Um, give it the, the gravity it deserves. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it's, it, it's kind of the opposite, uh, the opposite problem of what you were talking about earlier. You don't want to be a stuffed collar. You don't want to be a stuffed shirt, but you yeah. don't want to be, a, a, <laughs> you don't want to be a ragdoll 
uh, bozo clown doll at the same time. And, and you'll never perfectly straddle that line. Like if I've learned anything from from teaching now these big classes, is you'll you there's so much variability in students that you'll always even if you're straddling that line in a wonderful way, you'll always have people who who fall outside of it. So. I definitely have, you know, every semester I've got a couple of students who say I don't appreciate his lack of professionalism. I'll also get a handful of students who maybe they get a little too chummy or they get a little too, oh, this is a fun class. I don't have to study. I don't have to take this seriously. Um, so, you know, there, it's trying to find that line and trying as best as possible to stop students from, from straying too far from that. <laughs> from the delicate balance I'm trying to craft. And I'm not always successful at it. Every semester is a learning opportunity and a chance to to sit down and say, okay, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. <laughs> now, what you said earlier uh, about the, uh, about the school, it is a, a, effectively it's a liberal arts more than, I mean, it, I, I, I don't remember how they, presented themselves on the website when I was trying to look up information because I was going to actually pronounce the place and then I looked at it and I'm just like you know what uh no I'm not going to insult anybody by trying but so it's a bishop's university yeah well yes that part okay you know what screw you man that part <laughs> yeah, I could say like Lennox like this in the city of Lennoxville or Sherbrooke or whatever or or the estuary regions. Yeah, I, I was I was looking at a couple of a couple of terms, and and apparently I got myself all into a tangle and a tizzy for some stupid reason. I don't I don't know. I might I've not been sleeping real well for a couple. That was of me poking fun at you, by the way. Though. I was no, I know, I know, I know, I know. Not any more than I've done done doing myself. Any other question for you? Any, um, any opportunity to interrupt me? Do it. <laughs> I haven't said much. I've been good. You usually do that, and I keep trying to pull you in. Um. Anyway, I was going to ask. That I, I realize that there's a cultural difference between people down here and people up there. You know, we're you're kind of like the neighbors that are living over the meth lab, just waiting for it to explode. Um. But is there any kind of an issue in Canada with anti-intellectualism or thinking that education is elitist? That is a great, great question. And that's something that I've kind of wondered too. And I'm afraid for part of the answers. Um, so there's a real tendency. I, I think in general too, we have to remember this. Instances of anti-intellectualism are there in, in higher education and in culture in general it's really easy to blow them out of proportion. It's really easy to see an ignorant social media post or to see an ignorant rally and to say, oh, well, that, you know, uh, uh, this country is going to hell in a handbasket and everyone's stupid and everyone hate, you know. It's, it's worth noting that despite how easy it is to fall into that trap of doom and gloom, uh, I, am, I remain optimistic both because um, we are still, every generation is becoming more and more educated than the one that came before it. Um, and the fact that these are, that true anti-intellectualism is still very much in the minority. It doesn't mean it's not a problem. It doesn't mean it's not something we should try to stamp out. Um, but even looking at my own class, for example, I can remember I taught a psychology of sex class, uh, in the last year. 
And uh, out of the 120 students, I had one student where I had genuine problems with them pushing back against um, every, and now to be clear, I have no problem with students pushing back or questioning or challenging. The problem I have is when they do so in a very disingenuous way, right? With the, the, the problem is when a person says, I want to see your evidence and then you show them the evidence and they say, well, no, I want different evidence or I want better evidence without ever putting forth their own evidence. So it's a very disingenuine, you know, position to take. Um, so I've only, I only had that, you know, one student in my, uh, psychology of sex class where that happened. Um, the rest of the students were, were very much open-minded, were very willing to, to listen, and many of them changed their minds uh, from their initial positions. So I remain optimistic, uh, but not naive to the fact that anti-intellectualism is out there. I think if something has changed in the last, call it five or six years, um, it's been that anti-intellectuals have more of a platform uh, it's easier to hear them. I think they've always been around, but we're hearing them more. We, we've given them a bullhorn uh, in some respects, uh, but I don't think they'll win in the end. You're more optimistic than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, the and again, you know, here in Canada, you didn't vote in Oompa Loompa Mussolini for, well, for Parliament. Well, don't 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 forget, you know, they they did put it in in uh, a Toronto way, uh, Doug Ford. So you know, I mean, hey, he did a better job than Trump would have. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean, I'm willing to take that chance, dude. I mean, I mean, even so, uh, even I mean, we'll take the example of the United States. Um, the younger. I mean, the, the older people tend to be the ones who make the bad decision. No offense to older people, but it tends to be predominantly older voters who vote for vote that way. Um, you look at the younger generation and they're the generation that's kind of chomping at the bit, waiting for a chance to to change things. Yeah. And, and um, like you said earlier, they're also the ones who are smelling the bullshit from you know, Piscataway, New Jersey, and they, they know full well, dude, really? They stopped believing what corporations have said a long time ago. They stopped believing. Now, the, the problem is there's a bit of apathy on their part, and I think it's a matter of, of needing to rally them out of their apathy. But they're in the long run, they'll win. In the long run, they will demographically end up being the ones who make the decisions. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, especially with better immune systems. <laughs> that too. They got that going for them too. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. I mean, statistically, if you want to see who's getting uh, COVID vaccinations and who's the most likely to die from COVID, maybe you find your optimism in those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that are getting, dying now are in their 20s. Mm. Yeah. And we've, we've already uh, we've already seen the stuff that have said that, you know, you, you take a look at uh, how did people vote and vaccination rates in those areas. And there there is a. Uh, again, the statistics don't lie. The data ain't lying this time, unfortunately. Um, I know that one problem that my husband has had here, and he's taught at you know several different universities in different states, and so it's not tied to just one state. But every he teaches philosophy and um, you know humanities courses and things like that mostly. But his biggest issue, besides many of his students being functionally illiterate is they get very upset with him that they can't use the Bible as a source. 
He wants peer-reviewed you know, journals and things like that. And every semester, it's not just one or two, but it's several students will complain to his boss that he's trying to turn them into an atheist or something stupid like that. Yeah, hold hold, hold that piece because this is this is also uh, kind of leading us into an area I wanted to get into anyway. Actually, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to do this. Tack on to that. The the very <clears throat> conservative, lowercase c, conservative, um, anti-intellectual yelling points, not, not arguments, because arguments need to actually have some kind of factual basis, where they yell and scream about higher education is just a way for liberals to make more liberals. <laughs> and I want to kind of tack the two of those together for you because knowing full well, yes, it's a liberal arts college. Sorry, scare quotes, liberal arts college. That's oh, what it is. It, it, it's, call it what it is. That's what it is. It's, yes. it's not a it's not a dirty word. No, no, no. But 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 it's a matter of that. You know, that's one of those things that would the typically be used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And admittedly, Pretty liberal hippies. Yeah. And now, admittedly. Be, be, before before I go ahead and let you you know give you the right answer, we need to make sure that everybody understands ahead of time before this comes you know before the answer comes through this, we know and accept and absolutely adore the fact that Kanukistan is far and away more liberal in how it deals with policy and people <clears throat> than over here in you know. Gunistan. I want to make sure that everybody understands that. As an example, really quickly, when the question came up of gay marriage, and and I'm I'm gonna make this the real Reader's Digest version. Okay, so about this uh, about about this thing where uh, people who love people of the same sex want to get married together, uh, should we allow that? Well, what does it say in the law? Doesn't really say anything, so it's not against the law, not currently. Okay, they can do it. Next. That's a very short, very, 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 very short version from how I understood it. So, with that... For the Canadian version, right? No, because the Canadian version's actually got uh, um, st- tactical stealth gooses, and we don't, we, don't want, we don't want to be dealing with that. But anyway, now that I've completely derailed a good portion of all this... <laughs> The idea that you are just bringing up, you are just cloning out new liberal minds. Yeah, I, love, I don't love, like the way the I don't like the way that you're doing the evil hand thing here. No, it's I love the question. I love when people ask the question because it gives the game away. It completely gives the game away. Because think about it. Think what they're saying. Is, you know, what do you teach in in, in schools? Okay, well, we teach data. Like I, I go through my classes. Okay, I teach scientific method i teach critical thinking i teach peer review i teach statistics i teach research methodology i teach these things right and they're saying oh that's making liberals so so by by teaching people facts and data and science i'm making them liberal what what is that saying about their position i mean it's it's i mean that's an argument i would not be making like playing devil's advocate for them and trying to steal man then like bro that is not the argument i would be making it's not the it's not the killer argument you think it is. 
Um, the, oh, the more education, I've heard people say this unironically. Oh, the more education people have, the more liberal they become. And I'm like, that's not the part you're supposed to say out loud, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be admitting that. <laughs> but people in Texas have said that, have come out and said that. Yeah. Or at least the GOP have. They had in their official party platform that they actively discouraged higher ordered thinking skills. Which again gives away the game. I'm like, this is the part you're not supposed to say out loud. And it's kind of ironic that they lack the critical thinking ability to realize what a piss poor argument that is. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, if they were. <laughs> Sorry. So go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, perhaps if they'd gone to some of those higher education institutions and learned how to argue, learned how to use data and statistics, they might realize what a bad argument that is. <laughs> my, my favorite piss poor argument <laughs> is. Um, uh, when people were talking about, oh yeah, we, we shouldn't give everybody, uh, the ability to vote by mail because, you know, then it'll be, uh, then, then it'll always be a, a democratic, uh, president in office and democratic, uh, representatives and such. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going, what you're telling me is, uh, what you think you're telling me is that it's going to perpetuate fraud, which when we look at mail voting fraud, it's so far all the cases that have been confirmed were republican there might have been one democrat one if i remember correctly but the uh 99.9 something or other to that uh, nump us uh, to that kind of decimal place was all republican and then they tried to validate themselves doing it well we were trying to we had to do it because my deceased wife was going to vote that way or we had to do it to uh compensate for all the voter fraud that was the democrats were committing which there was none and so what the real argument becomes what the real arguments uh, for anybody who's using logic and reasoning uh when they hear it they go oh so what you're saying is if Republican conservative Republican mindset is that of we must oppress others to maintain power. And if we couldn't oppress others, uh, we wouldn't have any power. We can't win a legitimate election. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if yeah. you have to cheat to win, then maybe your policy positions suck. Or I, I, a very specific computer game that requires you to <laughs> cheat to win. If I could, um, Go back just to make sure that I, I steal up my position with some something a little harder and, and not just sort of, uh, you know, make it like I'm just shitting on conservatives for the sake of it. Oh, we do that um, all the I, time. That's fine. You can do that as much oh, as you want right now. I, I, try, I try not to be. I, I've been, you know, it's really easy to look and say, oh, you know, he's got a liberal slant. Therefore, we can't listen to anything he has to say. I'll, I'll take uh, a fairly conservative talking point and I'll, I'll show what I mean by this. So. Um, the argument for, oh, you're, you're indoctrinating students. We'll use, uh, something contentious. We'll say, okay, you know, trans rights, you know, trans people and, and, and the science is not on the side of trans people. I know, I know basic biology. And then it turns out that when I teach my psychology of sex class and I say, well, okay, let's talk about biology. Let's break down this thing you call biological sex. And I love doing it because inevitably I'll, I'll find some people in the class. I, I'll say you, you know, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, the, 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 those, oh, you know, I identify as male. I'm like, perfect. You identify as male. How do you know you're male? So, oh, my, my genes are male genes. I'm like, oh, really? Have you had your karyotype done? What's a karyotype? I'm like, huh, okay. So have you been genetically tested for being a male? Like, oh, well, well, no. But how do you know you're male? And we start breaking it down. We start breaking down the arguments, right? 
I start showing them, well, here's what the evidence, I'll show you the evidence, I'll show you the biology. My, my, my first degree is a Bachelor of Science, right? Um, so I'll, you want to play the science game, I'll show you the science, I'll pile on the evidence and show you that no, I'm not going up there and just expressing an opinion that, that trans people are valid, but I'm showing you the evidence, I'm accumulating the evidence. Um, conveniently, the evidence that they want to pretend isn't there when they just blanket statements say, uh, oh, he's just going up there and preaching about trans people for an hour, completely missing the fact that there is an argument there substantiated by, by data. So if, if that's what you call indoctrination, showing your work and, and making the argument and then having people kind of look at it and say, well, okay, it's kind of a no brainer. I guess, I guess that's indoctrinating. I, darn. <laughs> Again, if, if teaching people makes them more progressive in their ideas, I'm not, I'm not sure what's, what to tell you, except I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. And maybe it means you need to rethink what your position is. Yeah, yeah, the concept that if people learn more, experience more, because just because people might be older, might not necessarily be able to go to colleges right now, just traveling, especially outside of your own damn country, which admittedly right now is virtually yeah, impossible, virtually impossible, but it is entirely possible to have virtual tours uh, of, of places and you know, uh, granted, you can't exactly do pen pals anymore, but it's entirely possible to, you know, experience and talk with and learn. Even just that helps to open up people into thinking more about what it is that they do, why they do, what built them to where they are at this point and what makes them different. And even that experience alone starts to get people to think in terms of maybe even just in the back of their heads, you know, the whole reason for the, the, the show, why? And that question is, is that question alone opens up so many different things for people to learn and experience and realize, you know, if, if learning more, experiencing more, understanding more makes me want to change how things have been, Maybe things haven't exactly been that great. Maybe there's a good goddamn reason why I want to change the world. Mm. Yeah, I was I was reading, I was reading one of the uh, one of the news articles on my phone uh, as I was uh, eating uh, dinner, and it was uh, it was a write up about one of the Star Trek Next Generation episodes, and I, I've I've forgotten which one it was off the top of my head, but the the guy had basically written up uh, a thing about how the arguably the most important question that has ever been uh maybe not necessarily a question that had ever been said in Star Trek was if there's nothing wrong with me then there must be something wrong with the universe the setup was Dr. Crusher ended up accidentally inside of a collapsing warp bubble she thought she was still on the enterprise and people I kept disappearing yeah. and yeah, well, yeah, and she was people trying, started disappearing yeah and she was trying to figure out you know what the hell's going on cuz i can't be i can't be insane i'm not insane well, and the the best part was how she figured it out 
was not just by her questioning herself and then going through logic and reasoning of that. She used the ultimate logic bomb on a computer. She asked the computer the one question that the computer should have never been able to answer. And that was, what was the size no, of the universe? No, what, what is the what nature? Was, what is the, what nature is the nature of the universe? Of the universe? And yes, it's the a great computer, line. Yeah, and the computer gave the, the actual size, the various dimensions of the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, and and the 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 point of that takes logic to figure that kind of crap out. It, by the way, it does, and and a certain level of uh, of um, grasping at straws to try to make sense out of an insane situation. If there's nothing wrong with me, what's wrong with the universe? If I'm learning all these new things and I'm putting these pieces together from the from what we've learned. And the world around us is not helping people from what this data is showing, then maybe it's a good idea to go ahead and change how that all is. And what? Well, yeah. So, so I, one thing I wanted to mention too is we've kind of been talking about anti intellectualism here and, and sort of from a conservative perspective and, and like, oh, we're, you know, but I also want to mention that a big part of my job as well, and this is something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, is also helping to to take you know um i'll say unrefined but sort of um progressive ideas that are untethered by data and to help rein them in as well because i think just as damaging to progressive movements are people who uh either misconstrue the science or people who don't know the scientific reason behind what they believe or who 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 take a reasonable starting point and then go off somewhere crazy with it and, and helping say, well, no, you know, the, my goal is not to push progressive ideas. My goal is to um, help people make informed decisions based in in science, based in data. And if they happen to lead in progressive progressive directions, that's fine. But it's not it's not just about oh, let's let's take conservatives and make them liberal. No, it's let's let's make people better. At, at assessing science, better at uh, talking in an informed way about it, progressive and liberal. I have just, you know, I, uh, most of my job, in fact, is taking uh, uh, liberal students and helping to to help inform them uh, because, I mean, my class is predominantly liberal students. I get very few conservative students, uh, and there's a lot of learning that needs to go on. <laughs> yeah, it, sad, as, sad as it might sound for some people, Dunning-Kruger happens on both sides of the aisle. Oh, and, and I, I'm bothered in many ways about the lack of uh, humility that a lot of people show uh, in, will, in willingness to, to acknowledge how little they know, myself included, right? I need to acknowledge how little I truly know on the things that I'm teaching. Um, and man, it's, it's, it's scary. I, I'm just as scared of, of a, uh, a progressive person who is uninformed as I am about a, a, a more conservative person because they can do just as much damage mm -hmm. um, to, to the pushing of more progressive ideals if that's the goal you're going for. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the, I think a lot of the problem that we have down here is that as far as higher education, that has been turned into a business model to make as much money as possible and are run like businesses rather than institutions for learning. That too, yeah. And they teach to a degree, 
and have cut out a lot of the humanities courses and things, you know, of that nature, which I think is harmful to society. And especially down south, they teach you what to think and not how to think. Well, I think part of that can be attributed, and not that I'm not going to claim to be the arbiter or the you know, to know all the, the. It's a hugely complex system, uh, but I would wager that at least part of that problem stems from the way we prioritize um, degrees and and higher learning. Right? We had an entire generation that we told you are literally worthless on the job market if you don't get a degree. And I can't tell you the number of students who I've had where I I'm, I'm thinking, what well, what do you what are you doing in this class? Like, it's not that you're, you're not a dummy by any means, but like you're, you, you have no interest in this. You, you don't want to be doing this. You're here to get a piece of paper and then hopefully go get a job somewhere. But, but we, we, we built this system where people, younger people feel like, okay, I need to go in and get the piece of paper and then go get a job. And so it becomes this, this mill of churning out degrees as fast as possible, as efficiently as possible. Um, and it's not good for students. It's not good professors. Professors certainly don't want to teach under these conditions. Um, you know, we don't want to teach in a, an environment where a student feels like I paid the money. I deserve the, the degree at the end of the day. Um, and and it, it's, it's not, it's hard to, to point to a starting point and say, this is, this is the starting point. It's, it's this system that feeds back in on itself and, and trying to figure out where to tackle it is going to involve attacking it at multiple points, right? Universities have to change. Um, policies about things like great inflation. Uh, we as a society need to change our attitudes for things like hiring policies, right? Do you really need your, your employee to have a, a four-year degree? Is that actually what you want? Or are you just asking for it because you can, right? These, these kinds of system level changes need to happen, I think, to, to tackle that problem. And we're not having enough conversations about that and how to effectively tackle it head on. Yeah. What what you talked about is exactly the exactly the thing that I remember uh, for me, and I started to you know I started what what little college career I had back in eighty seven. So you know it's and and it was such a change from you could support a family as a working person without you could support a family. Have a, have a house, a car, get vacations, have a couple of kids, have a pet, and, you know, you still be able to do all the things and have time off for yourself and not go, not go nuts without having, forgive me for, for trivializing it for a second for, for, for a reason, without having the piece of paper that said that you, you got the extra thinking done. For for a lot of people, it's the hail mary pass. Again, you look at the look at the humor of the Zoomer generation. Look at the the way they talk. This is a, a group of people who are they don't see themselves as having a future. They see a doomed economy. They see I'm I'm totally screwed. Uh, university is their way of kicking the can down the road for a few years. It's all well. Maybe this will help. Maybe that you know. Uh, if nothing else, it gives me four more years of of some kind of purpose before I have to revisit where I'm at and realize I'm still no better off. Um, we, we, we've given them, we've handed them this shit sandwich and they're trying their best. I can't fault any of them for, for going in and, and hoping that maybe this will be their golden ticket out of here. Um, and again, fixing this is going to have to come at all levels. It's going to have to come from politicians changing, 
um, policies at higher levels. It's going to have to come from companies changing hiring practices. It's going to have to come from universities changing their policies. And just as a society, rethinking, you know, what is the purpose of higher education? Is university the only thing that we value? Why don't we value trade schools more? Why don't we value other forms of education as well? And, you know, that's that's a funny thing because I can remember, I can remember hearing things uh, reminding you this is going back to the whole, you need to have your diploma because you, you need to have a diploma where there was the downplay of, do you really want to be working a grimy job for the rest of whatever, as opposed to the nice cushy office job and and now all these years later it's like well li like you were saying well we need people who are you know tradesmiths and whatnot we need people who are pipe fitters and die cutters and people who know how to operate cnc machines and and it's like th it, it really is a complete flip around of how everything has been from what we were told because that's what the expectation was and now suddenly you know, 20 years later, things have flipped around in such a way that the the boomer generation, who does not want to sit down and get the fuck out of the way, thank you very much, don't want to adjust to the reality of how things have evolved. A shortage in this country of, like, you know, skilled plumbers and electricians. I never tire of reminding my students that uh, when I was going to university... Uh, I had several friends of mine who went into the trades, uh, and to this day, they make more than I do consistently. Uh, they are many years ahead into their, uh, you know, into to having seniority at their positions than I do. They, uh, up until I had tenure, they had better job security than I did. Um, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, to, in many cases, the trades are the smarter pick for a lot of uh, younger folks, but man, we don't value it. And I, I think we need to get away from this idea that the only, the only way, the only education that's worth valuing is that which you get through university, which is just not, not the case. I feel in some ways like I'm, 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 I'm speaking. You know, the university professor shouldn't be uh, shooting himself in the foot by by telling people that you know you don't need to come to ed, uh, to university if uh, your job prospects or your heart isn't in it. But no, if if there's one thing that I've learned, someone who is a teacher, and I, I don't I don't mean any particular level, but someone who is a teacher is someone who is able to connect with someone so that they end up learning better in the long run. And sometimes that's not necessarily, you know, to our detriment. Usually it isn't. Sometimes it is not to our benefit. Because sometimes things work in different ways. And if the right thing to do is to tell somebody, you shouldn't be here, you should be blah, then that is the moral responsibility to do as a, somebody who is a teacher. I mean, isn't that really the, the part of the reason why you wanted to be, well, teaching? You wanted to be helping someone to learn better and to be better for themselves and for, well, let's put it grandiose for society as a whole down the road. 
Of course, the, the counterpoint to what I'm saying, if I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to anticipate uh, angry, uh, angry counterpoints here, uh, one could argue that the position that I'm, I'm pushing for can lead to elitism or, or is very elitist. Oh, you're saying only certain people ought to go to university and you're trying to, you're trying to, to create some, uh, some, uh, intelligentsia that's, that's going to, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, that's sort of the counterpoint to it, <laughs> which again leads, I, I think to, to, um, this idea of anti-intellectualism, the idea that, well, oh, no, we should all be able to equally say we're experts on everything. I'm like, maybe there's nothing wrong with a small amount of intellectual elitism. Maybe some people are um, better suited to answer certain questions as a result of their education, not like genetic or anything like that, but as a result of their education, yeah. better suited to answer some questions than others. <laughs> yeah, for instance, I'm not going to ask Neil deGrasse Tyson how to plumb a toilet. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to be doing that. But the the problem the problem with your 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 counter is that we've already had that. My generation was given exactly that. It was it it was not some people are just not cut out for college. It was everybody must go to college, mm. and if you're not, then you're lesser. We've already had that, and mm. like I said, twenty forty years later. Look where it's gotten us now. So yeah, you know the the piece that you're talking about. Yeah, we've we've already gone through that, and well, yeah, we need to we need to not have that be happening anymore. One thing I am encouraged by is the I'm not sure how it, the the spread of of knowledge outside of the ivory towers. I think we in academia have a a, a bit of blame to be thrown in our direction for being for contributing in some way to this 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 wreath of of, of you know, being in the ivory tower and being sort of clouded and shrouded in mystery. I love websites like Wikipedia. I love open access journals. I love the idea of making and disseminating the knowledge out there so that we as a society can get better at it. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to be this. Oh, only the elites in their towers can can answer these questions. I, I I think it's great that the public can learn as well, and as a group, everyone kind of learn and get better. But at the same time, I think we can balance that against uh, you know, I I spent a, an afternoon on Wikipedia, therefore uh, I can tell my doctor what I should be diagnosed with. <laughs> this is I, I I have the silly I belief that there's a middle ground, reasonable somewhere between those two extremes. There is. There is. Uh, but we also have to recognize that, you know, one one afternoon on YouTube does not make one an expert on, on um, anything. Mm. Uh, over in the over in the chat, by the way, uh, by the way, guys, part of the reason why I, I typed over in there to say that, you know, if anybody's got a question, you know, feel free to drop it. I did look at the statistics, which I normally don't do, but I just just did and it shows that we've got uh actually four concurrent watchers currently which is don't get me wrong i know it's a small number but for us it's always nice to have you know creeping up numbers uh, i know that we're not like huge or anything but you know if anybody does want to drop a, you know a question or or something feel free uh stephanie had said uh youtube can help here they're vloggers who have no diplomas and are doing nicely true and that's one of the things that I absolutely love 
about the, well, the 21st century technology. I mean, we had no idea something like this was going to, no, let me, let me take that back. Back in the late, when was it? Back in the 90s, mid-90s, there was a company called NewTek who came up with something called the Video Toaster for the Amiga computers. And part of what they were promoting this for was so that, and, and near as I can remember how they, they put it out, you become the news agencies. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because the idea was that you could take a camcorder, take, uh, take your, uh, take whatever it was that you recorded, pump it through this thing, make your own actual TV stuff and services. And what they were advocating at that time is what has become with a lot of folks with YouTube, with, I mean, let's players with people who are out there actually gathering news and doing their own thing. Uh, who, um, Bridget, what was, uh, who was, who was that one guy that, that, that you know, uh, who's been doing, uh, like newscasts and whatnot? Oh, David Pakman. David, yeah. yeah. And, and he's one. What has he got? He's got like one 1080p camera and good research. Mm -hmm. And really, when all is said and done, I mean, what more do you really need? So long as you know how to find the right information, know how to present it and understand the topics, you can do it. And admittedly, we're just lay people talking through stuff as best as what we know. And okay, four people think that we're interesting while we're doing this live, you know, whatever. It's late at night, shut up, whatever. But yeah, man, the the new technology really makes a makes a huge difference in how we look at what is a business these days, no? I mean, I, I largely agree. I, I think my only concern, and this is just me being the the, the worry ward over here. Um, I think it's it's. I don't want to say it's a band-aid on a problem. There's a fundamental problem in the way the economy is structured right now. So I'm letting my, my socialist roots show here. Um, simply, we, we, we have we have an abundance of people and not enough jobs for those people. And people are finding niche places to, to earn a living, right? So so YouTube has been good in helping, you know, and, and also Twitch TV and places like that. It has been good at helping some people uh, to, to find lucrative careers there. But it's not a viable. I mean, not not everyone gets to be a, a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer. And and the reality is, we see numbers of unemployed people climbing and climbing. And a need to create. You know, it's also trying to find work for all these people. There's going to be a need to fundamentally rethink things like how we structure an economy in a world where um, we don't need everyone to be working. Not that I, I'm proposing to have any of the solutions here, more so just like helping people to realize that a lot of these problems are way more complex uh, than we make them out to be. And the solutions are going to have to be equally nuanced and complex. And if, I, if nothing else, as a social psychologist, that's my job is to appreciate how nuanced and, and, and complex and systemic these problems are. And that's one of the reasons okay. why... I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um, you know, and as technology gets better and better, we're going to have more and more people that are displaced from their jobs. Yep. 
Yeah, that has definitely been happening. The the news reports of people who are simply uh, walking off of food service jobs because people are being absolute asshats. And, and I, I can't say as a blame them. But a lot of jobs are being replaced by automation. Yeah. I mean, even working in Amazon Warehouse now, they have, you know, robotic you know, uh, pickers and things now. And the, the, the problem is that a lot of people hear that and they think the solution is to, to push back against it. Say, oh, well, uh, people should stop going to the automated checkouts and grocery stores as if that's the solution, uh, as if fighting against technology and advancement has ever been the solution. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the reality is we're going to have to, automation is, is here to stay and there's going to be a need to, to rethink you know, our, our assumptions about, well, what is it necessary for a person to work a 40 hour week in order for them to earn their living? Right. Is that a thing that we still need to to have in a society where where automation is able to produce so much for us? And like, I don't claim to have the solutions, but. Well, I mean, even in education, a lot of schools now are going to an online format and are finding that it's cheaper to have one professor that can teach 10,000 students. Yep. I mean, even even for myself, I can pre-record my lectures. And in fact, during COVID, uh, that's what I did. I ended up, because I couldn't be in a classroom, I had to pre-record my, lectures, my lectures. And in theory, there's nothing stopping the university from just deciding, well, we're just going to keep these and we don't need you anymore. I mean, I, I'm tenured now, so they, they can't do that. But uh, in theory, if they felt so inclined, they could just decide, okay, well, we got your lectures now. We don't need you anymore. Right. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, and before anybody thinks, you know, well, they they wouldn't be able to do that. That would be wrong. I mean, who – I mean, you're, you're basically stealing, uh, stealing the person's work product and using it in perpetuity. Yeah, Matt, I remind you folks that – I, I hate to use this example, but Dan Castanolette, oh my god, I know his name. The I guy who voices the guy who voices Homer Simpson. Alright. God, what the hell? This is not the alcohol screwing with my head. It really is. Um he had talked about how they were not sure how long. Simpsons was going to continue going and that maybe he would just decide that he just was going to go ahead and just ask for like absorbent, exorbitant amounts of money because he can only to realize, oh shit, the company that produces has so much tape of me now, they could just splice together whatever words they want and just use my past product to continue making new episodes without my input whatsoever and me not getting paid for that. And if people don't think they can do that, look to the, the My Little Pony fandom where they've done that with the, you know, 10 years of the show. They've been able to pretty well be able to use uh, AI to create systems that can pretty, pretty closely replicate uh, the actors' voices. Yeah. Um, the, the website for it is currently down. Uh, it was it was uh, kind of a uh, kind of experimental, kind of real, and yeah, they did it for uh, a number of different things. Uh, a number of the My Little Pony characters, uh, some of the characters from SpongeBob, 
um, a couple of video game characters as well. I've forgotten what they were, but yeah, the, the ability of being able to do that, which, which also brings me to a, another thing. Yeah. We've got people who are doing, you know, YouTube and finding, finding job in it, but there are independent programmers for games and utilities and applications up, up and down the yin yang that just explode on the uh, on the on the scene and suddenly you know there, there's stuff that takes the world by storm um you had uh, a Kerbal space program 10 years ago came on the scene and suddenly we've now got a new generation of space engineers who are literally learning this stuff uh, and groups like um whoever the hell it was that put together a power wash simulator that suddenly all the rage and it's a power wash simulator. Why? Why is this so popular? Full disclosure, I paid for the goddamn thing and I've played it and I've enjoyed it too. And I don't know why. So as a media researcher, I can also explain that. Oh God. <laughs> that might be another episode. <laughs> it might. Well, I mean, that, that that's assuming you even want to come back. I mean, you wrote me back into it once already. I'm sure I can. Yeah, but that that was only because you know community service, get it off your record. It's, it's kind of I, I don't know, kicked a beaver or something. I don't know what the hell happened. Um, and uh, Stephanie was also saying, uh, I'm not talking about people who make huge amounts of money off of YouTube. By the way, yeah, the vast majority of people aren't, but there are folks that are actually you know earning a little bit here and there, you know, a couple, couple of dollars here and there, some Patreon stuff selling, you know, whatever. But I got to admit, there are a number of YouTubers who are doing reactions to stuff that we grew up on, that they had never experienced firsthand movies, music, and inevitably people who are just absolutely agog with the musicality of like the Eagles or absolutely rolling in laughter, trying to hold everything in listen, uh, watching blazing saddles and wondering how the hell did this happen? What the hell am I even watching? What am I listening to? This is amazing. That education back up to us is something that's really, uh, really something special. Leaving the money out of it, watching the, the kids, sorry, the kids experiencing Queen at Live Aid for the first time and watching these people who are just like, what the fuck kind of magic is this? Is wonderful for us who experienced it firsthand, who now get to look at it and go, yeah. We know what we can help you guys understand now. Oh, what I thought was funny, you were mentioning Queen, is uh, I was listening to, I think it was Queen's Greatest Hits or something like that and doing some house cleaning. And my daughter, I forget how old she was at the time, but she heard that song, uh, Someone to Love. Oh. Or Somebody to Love or whatever yeah, it is from Queen. Somebody to Love. And she said, oh, wow, that's a really cool remake. And I'm like, actually, no, that's the original <laughs> Well, there's, there's a wonderful appreciation. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'll delve very slightly into the media research here. 
there's a there's there's a growing appreciation among younger folks for non-ironic enjoyment of media. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Brony fandom rose to prominence the way it did. Was like if you watch reality television, if you watch uh, a network news television, if you watch it's it's there's so much cynicism, there's so much sarcasm, there's so much vitriol. I mean, again, reality TV in particular, it's just a bunch of people laughing at the shittiness of other people, and there's a real desire among younger people to get back to simpler things, things that just make you feel kind of good, things that are just nice authentic, uh, make you feel kind of good. And I think you you find that both in the kind of YouTube content that people create, which is very authentic in many cases, um, more authentic at least than, than much of corporate media, but also looking back to to maybe a simpler time when, when things weren't where they are now in the media. There's a certain appeal to the genuineness of it all. Yeah, I just pulled up uh, a listing of television uh, television shows that uh that came on the scene that premiered in 2010 which was the same year that uh MLP started the the mm. the most recent yeah sort of because we've got another one that's going to be coming Gen my little Pop, pony yeah. friendship is magic i know i know most of you people are just like eh, just go with me for a second on this one cuz this goes with it all some of the some of the ones that had premiered that same year Worst Cooks in America, uh, Border Wars. Uh, let me let me find some of the other ones over here. Uh, Human Target, uh, Paranormal Cops. Yeah, A and E, nice going there, guys. Uh, uh, Caprica. Yeah, you want to talk about you know Caprica? Caprica was good. Caprica was good. It was Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um. The Michael Vick Project, really? Um, Undercover Boss, which I will admit the premise is good. I just hope that you know the boss has actually learned from it and and put it all together. Um, what are some of the other ones over here? Uh, Minute to Win It. Okay, fun idea. For money to have parlor games, okay, you know, some some nicer ones, uh, but so much of it is is contrived and horribly. Um, again, you you I talk to people who watch television and, and ask, why do you watch that show? And a lot of times, oh well, I I, I watch it ironically. I watch it to laugh at the people. I watch it to. Because they're like, oh, my life is way better than those people. I watch it because of how desperate and pathetic they are. And it's, it's an, an kind of a snarky cynicism, uh, a disgusting kind of just gross feeling that comes with it. And so there's been a push for more authentic media, right? So it's just, just something that's just genuinely nice, people genuinely being nice to one another. And you see that in the Zoomer generation, this desire to, can't we just like go back to things being kind of nice? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm still looking through some of these, some of these shows, man. Why with some of these? Uh, Hawaii Five O's reboot happened at that point, also. Just it's 
there's really something to be said for that, man. That maybe a little bit of some, some would call it escapism. And that's not necessarily wrong, but is it necessarily wrong to have that? You know, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, one of the, one of the, um, uh, epic rap battles of history, uh, was, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, lam- uh, lambasting, uh, uh, J.R.R. Murrow, Murrow, whatever the hell his name was, tell, yelling at him and telling him, look, it's called fantasy for a reason. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. It's a, it's it's fantasy. It's supposed to be fun. It doesn't have to be everybody dies because oh, I just want to be a shit lord. No, I'm also a fantasy researcher. <laughs> you paint my. I wear many hats. Yeah, yeah. Somehow that doesn't totally surprise me. And the fact that there was a a want, a desire, maybe even a need for that kind of wholesome escapism that didn't there was a there was there was a show that Jack Benny did back in the late 40s I think is what it was went to New York City and running you this everybody that this was back in the time of live radio uh, the golden age of live radio comedy so everything's on stage live in front of an audience you got a couple of guys over there for the band you got uh, the sound effects guys you got the engineers who are trying to make sure that nothing goes boom and Jack was talking to the folks that were going to be putting on the show you know, the, the guys who were actually uh, helping to produce it and told him, don't write jokes that are going to talk down to the audience. Never talk down, never insult the audience. You do one dumb joke and I'm out of here. And I think that that is really something that is important. Like you said, these, the, the younger, generations are smelling the bullshit from miles away. They don't want to be putting up with that anymore. They don't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be insulted anymore. And as soon as you go ahead and you you try to do that, because that's the way it's always been done. No, then I'm out. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, to return to your points about escapism, um, I'm perfectly fine with, with uh, a healthy amount of escapism. Uh, sort of maybe put a bow on all of this um younger folks i've noticed perhaps more than any other generation are the biggest activists they're the ones who are looking to change the world they're the ones who are having to roll up their sleeves look at the economy as it is look at the climate as it is and say like we got a lot of work to do and so yeah they can be forgiven for needing a, a certain amount of escapism now and then whether it's through social media whether it's through um the the shows they watch um, and I'm happy to give that to them. I'm happy to not, not literally produce that content. I'm happy to let them have their escapism because, I mean, the, if many of them are going to school, the ones who are taking it seriously are there to learn to become more effective, to be more efficacious in, in 
instilling the kind of change the world really needs right now. So yeah, I, 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 I encourage it. I say that, you know, as long as you, you touch grass once in a while, um, yeah, whatever you got to do to, to, to keep, keep that uh, motivation up because we're going to need it. <laughs> Trying to find the balance. I hear that. Um, we're get uh, we're, we're at the uh, top of the hour. So we gotta, we gotta wrap things up. Uh, Bridget tech, uh, either one of you guys got uh, any last questions that, uh, think need to be asked. Don't all answer at once. Apologies for my talking so much. <laughs> no, you're that that's, that's exactly the reason why you're here, man. Im import uh, whatever it is that you've got for us. What he said. <laughs> all right. Tech, you didn't fall asleep on us, right? This time. I hear Just snoring. Kidding. Just kidding. I actually still have coffee. I haven't. I've, I've been working at, and I still haven't finished it yet. Surprise, surprise. Oh, that's okay. <sighs> you still have more for the morning. Well, wait, it is morning. Got to drink faster. Must drink faster. Must drink faster. That's 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 the one thing you don't want to hear at the bar. <laughs> right, right there. Just, Just mainline it. Yeah. No, I don't have. No, much. that's not mainlining it. You. This. No, sorry. It's <laughs> this side. It's this side. Let wait. Should left side or right side? Right. Considering that I burned myself twice with the 3D printer, I, <laughs> yeah, well, I probably shouldn't be putting any needles near my neck. That's probably a really good idea. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, that being the case, then, uh, normally I would uh, – the, 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 the long and short of what I've got uh, to, to close with, and, and a re really short one, what, what Nuka said earlier, man, if – if you're worried about kids going into higher education and they're going to become liberal clone robots because they're learning about reality, yeah, then maybe reality needs to have itself whacked just a little bit. Remember, progressive maintenance still works sometimes. That's what the clue by four is for. Doc, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to uh, say whatever it is that you'd like to, uh, to kind of, like you were saying, put a bow, uh, whatever you think might might be left over that you think probably might need to be done. God, it's hard to hard to think of one thing. Uh, I would say um, the kids are okay. I would say the kids are okay. There's this tendency, I think, in our society to uh, see everything as doom and gloom, and, and to, to to throw so much of the blame on the young people these days, and um, one of the best parts about teaching is getting to them and I'm constantly humbled and inspired by these students. And, um, I, I think the people who work with the younger generations are, are granted a little more optimism than people who, who don't, uh, get to be, I see them. I, I feel like the future is in good hands. I feel like a, a bunch of us need to kind of get out of the way and let them, uh, uh, show us a thing or two. And I'm, I'm inspired by it. I'm encouraged by it. I don't, uh, despair, uh, despite the, the state of the world sometimes. And, and it's easy to, to get that way. But, um, yeah, and I think if I, if I could say they taught me one thing, it would be to, to have some hope. You know, I think I'm going to hold on to that, that one line. The kids are okay. 
I don't know why that has emotionally affected me as hard as it did, just did. But that's that's something I definitely want to hold on to. So with that, we're going to have to uh, call it a night. So everybody, as always, thank you very much for being with us. I hope that you found something worthwhile in all of our perspectives and uh, you know, something to think about for the week ahead for yourselves. Felis, yeah, it is that late already. Man, you made it. Congratulations. Well done. Good on you. <coughs> now, go to sleep. And Stephanie, of course, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Stephanie had also said, uh, right at the end of it all, uh, currently watching a lad who turns vans into RVs for a living and lives in one. I just watched his trip through Scotland. Wonderful scenery, but he did not hide that he got wet and cold. Wonderful. How in the hell would you ever know that? How would you actually understand what he's t what he's saying? Or maybe he's not Scottish, in which case you could probably understand it perfectly fine. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Sorry. You you move a couple of you you move a couple counties over in in London. Suddenly, it's hard to understand. It's really dictionary. hard to understand. <laughs> so that's kind of the way that it works. Um, Doctor, I was almost going to call him. I wasn't. I was going to go ahead and give the whole big thing. I'm not going to do that. I will just do it this one because it is respect on my part, Courtney. It is so. Good to have the opportunity of checking in with you again, man. It, I, I've missed you, you know, for well. It's been, God, what is it? It's, it's been two years, yeah. hasn't it? Two years too long. Yeah. And hopefully the next time that we'll be able to do and get together, it will be completely safely. So, cause yeah. I, I can't wait to see you again. I look forward to it. Yep. I've got some of your information in the, uh, uh, in the show notes for everybody, of course, about, uh, the first science group and, uh, for, uh, the college that you're at. I, Sincerely hope that was okay. No, no, totally fine. Yep. So, uh, anything that you'd like to uh, plug for yourself, or uh, I'm, I'm going to make sure that uh, when we get done, that I can make sure that I add into the show notes uh, links to any and all of your publications, so that you know folks can go look it up because some of that is really good stuff. It's, if you just go to First Science, it's easy to find them all. We got a research and publications tab, and they're all there. So don't 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 break your back having to type all of that. Um. In terms of plugs, uh, if you're really, really interested in weird fandom research, I got you covered. Uh, I, I've written a book on anime fans, on bronies, on uh, media violence. I got an upcoming book uh, probably the next year or so. I'm, I'm updating my, my book on furries, so uh, lots and lots of stuff there. Um, yeah, furscience.com if you want to learn more about furries or uh, win internet arguments with data. That's the place to go. <laughs> So when are you going to do some re research on uh, Rush fandom? You know what? There's so many fandoms you want to study. Hey, one Rush. <laughs> the, the ones we're, we're, we're trying to get right now are uh, BTS fandom. That's the one that's really big with the kids right now. Uh, yeah, BTS and K-pop in general. And um, it's, it's it's just a matter of time at this point. Every time someone suggests a fandom, we're like, well, wait for an honor student who wants to take us there. We just started getting into the Star Wars fandom because we had an honor student uh, who was interested in that. So... Give it time. <laughs> the important thing is we're not just studying sports fans anymore, which is what the fan research was for like 20 years. All they studied was sports fans. So we're we're finally moving off of that. <laughs> It'd be interesting when you get somebody who does the uh, the research on the fandom for midget tossing. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, That's a real sport. 
Yes. Well, not necessarily sport, but it's a real thing. It's a very small Zamboni, I'm sure. There is a very there is a very twisted joke in there for anybody that wants to go ahead and figure it out. So there we go. Again, we'll make sure that whatever links we can we can get, we'll get from before we uh, before we let them go out of here. Wait, they still make the links? What? I thought that retired that game system was retired a long time ago. Tech, I would very much like to say it's been a pleasure. I would really like to. You're making uh, it difficult. On what you'd like to do. You're making it difficult now. <laughs> but it's good to have you back, man. You take care of yourself. You stay safe, huh? Yep. Like I said, I won't see you guys next weekend, but maybe the weekend after that. Well, don't go away just yet, because I'm going to make you feel really bad that you're not going to be here. Bridget, thank you, hon. And you know what to do. To say another fandom that I really like is uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, now see, now ah, you're, now you love it. This man has no neck. As an Italian, <laughs> I am very offended by that and targeted, and targeted. Dude, I'm part Italian too. I used to go as the narrator. I'm not it's Rocky Horror to... Picture Show. I used to go as the narrator. I used to go as Columbia. <laughs> Opportunity blessed my soul. I really love that rock and roll. DMCA, stay off I our channel. I made a good meatloaf. But not meatloaf again. Speaking of Eddie, anybody for seconds? Richard, you know what to do. Oh, gosh. Just a toast. The <laughs> fuck the GQP, man. You're just. You're ruining my country. And, you know, just, like, take your Jewish space lasers and get them the hell out of here. Use in space! And then the crater green, and, ugh, I just can't stand her. Yeah, you know... And fuck Mike Pence, Yeah, well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a given. You know, he's 95 years old. I mean, which one of them is going to go first? Is it going to be Mel Brooks or is it going to be Betty White? I'm, I'm really not. Not looking Betty forward. White, no. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm very much not looking forward to either one of those possibilities. But be that as it may, everybody, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, like I said many a time, I'll make sure that everything that I can get in there to point you guys to new reading material for the summer is in there, so uh, you can go looking that up if you'd like to. Get in touch with us anyway. Take a swing over to holycrapthevlogcast.com. All of our links are be there, uh, show notes, et cetera, et cetera, including the, uh, uh, the podcast version of the show. So you can get that. If you'd like to leave a voicemail message, the phone number is 859-HCTV-554. 859-428-554. Now, I'm very happy because we will have guests again next week, which is our Power of Ten episode. Reminding you, Power of Ten episode, there are no filters, so it will be a not-safe-for-work episode. It will be filtered for people. I am looking to get in for us tomorrow, uh, next week, Sam and Becky from Ask an Atheist in Tacoma. Because there is a news article that has surfaced 
I helped them out on their show when the whole COVID lockdown thing happened, and we had to talk about it. And this damned news article, a year and a half later, has resurfaced, and we have to have a discussion about this again. As soon as I can make sure that we've got them, I will have notes out for everybody to know about this. But in the meantime, you will take very good care of yourselves. Please be safe. Please be careful. If you have not already, if you are able to get vaccinated, encourage folks who have not yet to get vaccinated. Please just be safe. And of course, because it is the summer, if you are going to spend any time out on the water, please do not boat and drink. Fall down drunk on dry land and hurt yourself. Don't become a statistic in the water. So, until next week, we'll look forward to seeing you then. So as always, I wish you all the peace I no longer have. I wish you the strength that I've learned. I wish you well. And of course, for my lady... 28 years of wedded time that we should have had. I am still in love. Matane Fujin, I love you. I miss you. Dream of me. Till the next time we get together, everyone. As always, good night. You've been listening to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. Feel free to leave a comment at the show's website at holycrapthevlogcast.com where you'll also find links to our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter pages. Theme music is Twisted by Kevin McLeod, available at incompetech.com. And on behalf of all of us here, thank you for listening.